politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM KPFK for all of Southern California and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Hope you're having a great day today. Appreciate you tuning in. Today we're going to uh, continue a little mini-series, episode three of three, if you will. A couple of weeks ago, we did a program, a celebration of life, for the late Thich Nhat Hanh, the Zen monk, mindfulness teacher, who was also a well-known peace activist. In fact, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by none other than Dr. Martin Luther King in the mid-1960s for his work expanding awareness of the devastating impact of America's involvement in Vietnam's Civil War. And then last week we talked to Norman Solomon on this show, who is a lifelong peace activist. I've known Norman for 40 years, and he's written a number of books, about 10 years ago, founded an organization called Roots Action, and uh, he's very devoted and dedicated social activist and uh, anti-war educator and organizer. And we talked about America's bloated military budget, about uh, how little of it actually goes for defense, about America's combat presence in 150 nations overseas and and about the push for a new generation of nuclear weapons that could cost well over $1 trillion when only 5% of the nukes we already have would cause a nuclear winter and uh, put an end to us all. Seems like that's quite enough. You begin to understand that war is more about profit and corruption than uh, defending democratic values. And even the veterans are victims of this, for look how they're treated and the inordinate number of suicides among our men and women who seek to serve their nation in the most honorable way and yet uh, get kicked to the curb after suffering PTSD. What... uh, used to be called battle fatigue or shell shock. And only now are we beginning to understand the horrific impact of combat on soldiers, even if they are the, air quotes, good guys. So this week we're going to continue to talk about war and so-called defense and militarism, but we're going to go really deep with the author of an absolute classic, a book released in the early 1980s called Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Dan Milman. And I'll introduce him in a few minutes. He has a new book called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. And when you look into the heart of a true warrior, you find peace, not violence. You find self-defense, not 
invasion, occupation, or nation-building. You find warriors who do what they do out of love, defending the weak and the helpless, those who cannot defend themselves, not a soldier who takes what is not his or kills out of fear. And so that'll be our topic today. And yet, here at the top of the show, I want to remind you that we're a week into our first fun drive of the new year, 2022. And uh, so this is a time to double down on our appeal for your support. You've noticed, no doubt, that all of our programming 24-7 is free of commercials, and that means free of corporate influence. It means nobody's going to kick in the door here and tell me that I have to stop opposing war on the radio or exposing the of the military-industrial complex. And yet there are bills that need to be paid, right? There's the uh, electric bill that comes monthly for broadcasting 110,000 watts off Mount Wilson behind Pasadena. And, uh, of course, we have a building mortgage and we have uh, air conditioning and, and lighting and, and countless services like news. And we do have people that need to be here every day to keep us on the radio, even though the vast majority of us, especially programmers, are volunteers. I've been on the radio here at KPFK since 1993 and have never taken a nickel. In fact, I give money every month, as well as putting about 8 to 10 hours a week into each one of these programs. But it's something I do because I love what I'm doing and because I think it makes a difference. There's an educational aspect to public radio and especially progressive radio. We are not NPR. I'm sure you've noticed this is not PBS. This is not MSNBC. This is radical free speech progressive radio powered by the people. What does that mean? It means once a month we'd like you to kick in 15 bucks. That's what it means. And if you've only got $5 a month, that would be great. Or if you can dig deep once a year, and make a contribution of 150 or $250. That's great. But I'm going to talk a little more about this at the end of the program, and in particular, Sustainer Circle, which you can set up on our website at kpfk.org and uh, forget about. And invisibly, that money is withdrawn from your account and contributed to KPFK as a 501c3 charity, so you get a tax-deductible contribution. And of course, it's on your monthly bank statement. You'll see it, but uh, you don't have to do anything. You set it and forget it. I think it's a great way to make a painless contribution every month to the support of KPFK. Go to kpfk.org right now. Again, we'll talk about this a little more at the end of the show, but uh, you could do it now and then settle in and Listen to my interview with uh, a whole new attitude, feeling like you're really part of the family. You're part of the mission. You are waging peace by keeping this radio station on the air. Now in our 62nd, or maybe it's the 63rd year. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little, I'm starting to lose track of the math, but since 1959, you figure it out. 
uh, keep us on the air, right? Times are tough for everybody, especially KPFK. We, we have had to let go of our program director and senior producer. Our budgets have been cut by more than one-third. And uh, the last few fund drives, we've barely gotten to half of our goal, half of the money we need. So we're not rolling in dough. We're not buying billboards or bus benches. And our only promotion is word of mouth, you telling your friends. By the way, that's another thing you can do to support KPFK is tell your friends what we're up to here at 90.7 FM and streaming at kpfk.org. As promised, we have a, uh, a friend with us who's been in studio here at KPFK with me on a couple of occasions. And I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, He'd been here on occasions beside that. Uh, and I bet you know this guy. He uh, made a name for himself back in the early 1980s with the publication of a fable. I think of it as a fable that, gosh, was just so important for me as a young man and my introduction to not just spiritual growth, but but personal growth and the integration of what it meant to understand myself as a human being and then to transcend, in a way, that sense of self, uh, all around the idea of being peaceful and being quiet and uh, turning away from the chatter of the monkey mind and, and uh, moving into a, a quiet center. But he did that in a way that was very different from anything that I had ever been exposed to, and that's athletics. And we'll talk about his story, the book from the 80s, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, but also his brand new book, which is called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. My guest today is Dan Millman. And Dan, good afternoon, and welcome to KPFK. Michael, it is always a pleasure to have a chance to converse with you. Well, we've chatted for a few minutes here before uh, going on the radio, and uh, we go, as I said, we go way back. I had the pleasure of meeting you right after your book came out, and before it became uh, a sensation, I would say. Um, at that time, uh, we were talking about something called the human potential movement. At least that's the way I remember describing it. What was your introduction to that whole field? I, I know you're an athlete. You're a, you were a, a gymnast and Olympian. And how, how did you bridge from athletics into psychology, philosophy, and spirituality? A big question, which deserved a 220-page book answer, <laughs> the new one, which uh, describes my entire evolution. Who knew that as a little kid a risk taker from the time I was in diapers. The, the book opens with a bit of anecdote about how I was almost uh, killed running into the street, still in diapers, till my dad pulled me out of the way of a car. So I was a risk taker for a young age, but from a young age. But when I uh, discovered an old trampoline at a summer camp and discovered I liked jumping up and down, uh, a joy shared by, by many people, young and older, I never knew it would lead to a, a sport, gymnastics, a college scholarship to UC Berkeley, uh, a professorship at Oberlin, and all that followed. 
But it was, in, re in reflection, Michael, it, it was the beginning of my spiritual training. Um, I believe spiritual life begins on the, on the ground, not up in the air with abstract ideas. So it was a grounded journey for me. The subtitle of the new book is uh, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. And it was only later at Berkeley uh, and some brief experimentation, but very conscious experimentation with, uh, with LSD, which was uh, quite a moment in time and, and provided me a glimpse of what might come uh, with sustained practice. Um, and, and gradually, you know, f coming upon transcendental meditation and Zazen, when a monk literally knocked on my door, the gym door at Stanford University where I was coaching gymnastics, and asked if they could use the floor exercise mat to do a session of sitting. And I asked if I could join them. And from there, I trained in Aikido after doing many martial arts, being bullied as a kid. Uh, it, it, sent me, it, it gave me an interest in self-defense and martial arts, which I've studied many over the decades. And, and that, that led to other things. One thing led to another. But uh, in the new book, I actually go into the four primary mentors, radically different teachers, who, uh, real people who each represent a different facet of the spiritual quest, uh, a quest for human potential. So, in a way, I lived through and represent the counterculture 60s, the, the uh, spiritual questing of, of the 70s with Est and all these other movements, and then the, as you say, the human potential movement of the 80s and beyond. So, my life spans those years. And, and I would never presume to write a memoir just because I presume people want to read about, about this Dan Millman character. Um, it was more what, what justified the book to me was it might help illuminate the path, uh, our universal quest for fulfillment, for meaning, for happiness, for transcendence. And that's what I was searching for from the beginning, represented by flight. I loved Superman and Peter Pan as a kid, and the idea of rising above, uh, which, which later became transcendence, something much deeper and loftier. Um, so that, in a nutshell, is, is my response to the question. Well, this new book, which has only been out a few weeks now, uh, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, as you say, is your memoir. But haven't all of your books been somewhat autobiographical and sort of a blend of you and a bit of fiction? Well, I, I, would, I would say that. Um, it's best to treat... My writings, I, I mean, I've written two children's books, a, a screenplay, um, a graphic novel, across genres. But basically, my guidebooks, like No Ordinary Moments, or The Life You Were Born to Live, and The Four Purposes of Life, these are, are guidebooks, straightforward. Um, my other books, it's best to treat them as novels. Uh, you called Peaceful Warrior Fable. It's not too far off the track, except that's the only one of my books that... Um, it's the only one of my books, Michael, that actually mixed autobiography. It was my first book. I didn't know how to structure it, but I knew I wanted to share something based on what I learned from the first two of those four mentors, who I studied with uh, in total, just the two of them, uh, about a decade. Um, I wanted to share what I learned, and let me jump back for a moment. I was teaching a course at Oberlin College, and it was a compendium of, of martial arts, uh, specifically Aikido and Tai Chi. 
and I was going to call the course The Way of the Warrior, which made sense, given the two martial arts, but they're more internal arts, they're more defensive, they're not really aggressive arts. Uh, and so I, I thought a light bulb went on, and I said, hey, why don't I call it Way of the Peaceful Warrior? And that qualifier made all the difference. It balanced the whole term. And that's when I first came up with the term, organically. And later, when I finally wrote the book, um, I decided that would be a good title for it. And that's where it, where it came from. But that book, I didn't know how to structure it, so it ended up being autobiographical, but also with fiction blended in. And I was always straightforward about that. Um, and in fact, I like to... I don't usually do things like reading on air, but this might be interesting to potential readers, and it might be interesting to you too, um, where I, I, in the preface of, of the new book, I go into the, the, the four mentors, the, I call the professor, the guru, the warrior priest, and the sage. And then I go into, and I, this is in the preface of the book, some readers may ask, what about your teacher Socrates? Is he one of the four mentors? If not, why isn't he included? An understandable question, since my first book in the Peaceful Warrior Saga blends autobiography and fiction, leaving just enough ambiguity to lend an air of mystery about the old service station sage that I called Socrates. To resolve such ambiguity, I now offer this small revelation. I am Socrates. That is to say, the literary character I named after the ancient Greek is a projection of my own psyche. I was not Sock's student, but his creator. As my muse, he assisted in his own creation. Our dialogues were not remembered conversations, but flowed forth as I wrote them. My 2006 novel, The Journeys of Socrates, conveys an imagined life of this literary character and the experiences that tempered his spirit. To put it another way, Socrates is real. Dan Norman is a fictional character. Those are my readers and seminar attendees who desired a teacher like Socrates, had him all along. So I thought I'd share that, uh, since you may not have seen the preface yet, Michael. Well, I appreciate that. Um, that just brings up so much for me. Again, Dan, I got to tell you that Way of the Peaceful Warrior just lit me up as a young guy. I mean, I was in my 20s, and I had taken sort of a mind control in the mid-70s. That was my entry point to meditation, to visualization and guided imagery, to healing, uh, self-healing, and, and all that followed. Revealing that you are Socrates, and, and it doesn't really surprise anybody, or not me anyway, it makes sense. You wrote the book. So let's talk about inspiration and intuition. Many songwriters will admit that their best works flow through them, not from them, uh, and, and often occur in dreams. Songwriters will talk about waking up in the middle of the night with a melody and rushing to the piano or the guitar to, in five or ten minutes, compose, if that's the right word, this whole song. But they don't really take credit for it. They, they do for legal purposes. <laughs> they want to get the royalties, of course, but they'll admit that this is uh, some sort of energy or spirit or breath moving through them, not from them. Uh, speak a little about inspiration, would you? 
Well, I, I have a couple of things to say on the subject, and I, I appreciate your bringing it up. Um, you know, just as Arthur, King Ar young Arthur, had Merlin, and Frodo had Gandalf, Luke Skywalker had Yoda, Daniel-san had Mr. Miyagi, and Carlos Castaneda had Don Juan Matus. Um, I had my Socrates. Um, he was based on a, a cosmical character I did meet one night in a service station in Berkeley, California. So that part was factual. And, and I remember that old fellow years later, and I wanted to convey the idea. After reading Castaneda, you know, I wanted to convey, you didn't have to go to the Nagual, another dimension in the Sonoran Desert, or, <clears throat> or take psychedelics necessarily um, in order to grow and to awaken. You could even, you could find wisdom in unexpected places. So he seemed like the appropriate character through whom to talk. And, you know, today people talk about channels, this, or at least they used to be in the 70s. There was a 20,000-year-old dead entity, you know, discarnate entity speaking through, Jay-Z Knight, Ramtha, and, and there were various channeled entities. And to me, these are all people's muses. That, that's how I view it. Um, they created identities. And in, in creating Socrates, and having this student, uh, this adolescent type student mentor relationship with him in the book, in the first book, I was able to express wisdom that was beyond this Dan Millman guy. I was a young athlete and I, you know, former coach and so on. But how, how did I end up learning what I did? Well, the book finally, Peaceful Heart Warrior Spirit, the new book, bookends my career after 40 years and 18 books, uh, explaining the true story behind the story. And so I use that idea of this, this classic idea of the student and teacher. Uh, and through him, I could express larger, more transcendent wisdom um, and even humor than I might have been capable of through this, my own identity. So that's, that's what my source of inspiration was. But, you know, since then, in teaching around the world, I haven't sought to inspire or motivate people, though I'm introduced often as a motivational type speaker. Somebody came up to me after a talk I gave and said, Dan, I don't know, I feel kind of inspired. I said, don't worry, it'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> because inspiration comes and goes, right? So does motivation. So I've tried to uh, plant seeds, something different than just trying to inspire or motivate, because that's temporary. Um, it's more offering reminders, observations, perspectives on life's bigger picture and, and promise. Yeah, but having said that, I feel that's like the entrance to what I'm asking you about, which is how do you know these things at such a young age? Um, and are you listening to something in your head, some whisper, still small voice, some... Uh, picture that comes to mind, some imagery, uh, uh, a feeling in your body, all of those uh, external stimuli, what inspires you? Well, it's, it's more than that. I, I, many people who just read Peaceful Warrior or saw the movie based on the book with Nick Nolte playing the old service station attendant, um, they imagine me as a young athlete, uh, I learned some stuff from this old gas station guy, and then now today he teaches it. But it, the story is much deeper than that. And, and I, w I wrote it for a number of reasons, to establish my creds in a way. Uh, what I went through over more than 20 years of training with these four different mentors. And I have to explain, and this I think does address your question. Um, I don't simply parrot what I learned from the, the professor or the guru or the warrior 
the, uh, the warrior priest or the sage. Rather, they opened doorways inside me, doorways of insight and discernment that enabled me to access, because of my commitment to share with other people, I th- I, that's what I believe, that, that I even met them in the first place, because one day, I, I don't remember when it was, I was probably an adolescent or maybe in college or toward the end of my college career. You know, when I was young, and as I describe in the new book, I, I love self-improvement. I love learning things. As a kid, I learned ventriloquism and juggling and sleight of hand, and I read books on speed reading and memory courses. Uh, I love just learning skills and mental abilities and the Trachtenberg book of speed mathematics, uh, all these things. But one day after years of self-improvement, I realized that no matter how much I improved myself, only one person benefited. But if somehow I could share and influence with other people, I didn't know how yet at that time, but if I could share with other people and touch their lives in some positive way, that made my life all the more meaningful. And that's what I uh, have striven to do um, for these many decades following that. If I look at my own life, a great deal of what I've learned what I know, what I believe I may understand has come from reading, from talking to other people, from my research, from the world around me. But the most earth-shaking revelations have come quietly on cat's feet in very quiet meditative states. And they often carry with them, again, just my sense of it, a feeling of remembering something that I once knew a long time ago, or even that maybe I should have known and somehow forgot. And for me, it's a case for reincarnation and what a teacher of mine used to call recapitulation, that we're relearning or recapping what we've known in past lives. Does any of that resonate with you? Yes, it does. And I I don't presume to tell people how life works. In other words, I don't know whether reincarnation is real, but I do think it's an elegant approach, an elegant um, uh, perspective that if we learn from past lives, if our soul goes on and is re-educated, it gives a depth and meaning to life rather than everything goes back to zero when you die. Um, so I like that, and it's an operational uh, uh, belief of mine, but I would never impose it on anyone else. Um, I, I believe my wife is an older soul than I am, and I, most of my life has just been playing catch-up with her. <laughs> uh, and actually, Joy does weigh in. Uh, when she read every draft, all the nine drafts of this new book, and when we were about on the seventh draft, cutting it down from a, like a 500-page overwritten hedge of a book to a little bonsai, 220 pages, um, around the seventh draft, Joy said, you know, Dan, I have a little, I was with you through these four mentors and I, I have a little different perspective. What if I wrote something? And I said, fantastic idea. So she wrote about 10 pages, uh, uh, sprinkled throughout the book, uh, with her, her perspective on, on things. So yes, I have been playing catch up with her. She's been my guardian angel and North star, uh, for well, 46 years now. Uh, and so I, I, I've learned from her, her example. That's the best way to learn. Um, and meanwhile, I've, I've done my job, I think, and, and served my function in expressing it in ways that make sense to people. My guest is Dan Millman, 
And I bet you know the way of the peaceful warrior, and he's with us today to let us know he's got a new book. It came out early in January of this year, so it's just been a few weeks. Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, a memoir of this sort of bookends uh, Dan's life, although I hesitate to say that because you're young and vital, and I'm sure you're going to continue to produce more, but I, I, I know the feeling of wanting to, uh, well, I, I, this, this book feels sort of like your legacy. It's sort of like, it's got a sense of conclusion to it. Well, it does. Uh, in terms of my writing career of long-form books, 18 feel like enough. This is my 18th book. Uh, I have more life. At, you know, I turn seven, I'll turn 76 years old this, this month, so I have more life to look back on than forward to. And it seemed like a good time to reflect on my life. But also, I wanted to write it while I had my memories and all my faculties. So it was a, a timing, just like the earth is just far enough from the sun to uh, be warmed enough but not too hot or not too cold. Um, in the same way, I wanted to find the right time to write this, and it just seemed like it appeared. But I also wanted to express my lineage. We all stand on the shoulders of others. As you were saying, Michael, you read books, uh, thoughts came to a meditation, you've experienced different trainings, and, um, and the same thing with me, with these four mentors. So it was time to acknowledge my lineage uh, and to encourage others. Uh, you know, Cesare Pavese said something quite relevant to a comment you made earlier. He said, everything that needs to be said has already been said, but it needs to be said again because no one was really paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's a great place to take a short break. We've got more, so stay right there. This is Dan Noman, and we'll be back right after this short break. You're listening to 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. And we're back with Dan Millman, the author of Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and his brand new book, his memoir, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. And Dan, uh, I know from previous conversations that as a lad, as a boy, you were bullied quite a bit. Is that where your interest in uh, martial arts comes from? Yes, I suppose I should thank the bullies, even though it may not have been their intention at the time. I, I was uh, always the youngest kid in my class. My mom loved to get back to the workaday world, so she slipped me into kindergarten as soon as possible. And so I was always not only the, the youngest, but one of the smaller kids in class. It worked well for gymnastics, not so much for basketball. <laughs> um, but because I was young, and also I probably talked too much, a habit I've carried, a lifelong habit, but... Um, it attracted the attention of some bullies, and I described some of the incidents, and many people may relate to one way or the other, uh, male or female, in their own life. So that eventually I asked my father, I just had enough, and, and I said, can you teach me to defend myself? And he took me to a boxing gym where I discovered very quickly I didn't like hitting other people or getting hit. Um, so boxing didn't last too long for me. Uh, a wonderful, you know, incredible strategic physical activity, um, but it wasn't for me. And I ended up going to judo, which was then known as the gentle way. That's what judo means, the word in Japanese. And I trained uh, for some time in judo and then karate, uh, especially Okinawan. Think Mr. Miyagi, Okinawate, 
the Okinawan style of, of karate. And later, Aikido was the only martial art I ever got a black belt in. So now if I'm ever attacked on the street, I can whip out my certificate. Um, and and later i went to um tai chi i studied tai chi after aikido and and some uh, filipino arts kali eskrima arnis knife fighting and stick fighting um and and more recently uh, the russian martial art of sistema which is one of the most interesting arts i'd ever studied uh, in my life um all and and that led to the novel in the journeys of socrates um but it, all this was around fear, uh, insecu- physical insecurity, uh, boys that threatened me and so on. And so I studied this uh, whole idea of, of fear uh, in my own life. Now, I was afraid all the time in, in the gym when I was doing gymnastics, um, but fear was just uh, my companion. I, uh, to me, the only difference between fear and excitement is whether you're breathing. <laughs> the adrenal response is similar. Um, you're very excited, you have power and focus. So I learned to use the fear. I turned it into power. Um, Cus D'Amato, a boxing coach, once said that heroes and cowards feel exactly the same fear. They just respond differently. And so we all have anxieties, nervousness, insecurity, self-doubt, various kinds of fear that um, can interfere with our lives if we let it. So to me, it was all about our response. It's not about not feeling fear, not feeling anxiety. Those are, feelings are quite natural. And the fourth of the, uh, for the, of the four mentors I describe in the, in the memoir that I studied with, um, he really addresses uh, this issue and the complexities of life. A- another qu- favorite quote is by a woman named Barbara Rasp. She said, the lesson is simple. The student is complicated. And we all we all complicate our lives so much with the the, the daily news and the, the chaos around us. And and the reason I, I titled the new book Peaceful Heart Warrior Spirit is Michael that wherever I look I see peaceful warriors in training. And the reason I say that, I use that term for everyday human beings, is that all of us are seeking to live with a more peaceful heart, a sense of equanimity and serenity amidst the chaos and the changes of everyday life. Um, But at the same time, we need to recognize, we all do, that there are moments in our lives when we need a warrior's spirit. And it's not necessarily about fighting, except possibly the battle with our inner demons of insecurity and self-doubt and so on. But for the most part, it's about rolling up our sleeves, standing up tall inside of ourselves, and marching into life and doing what needs to be done, even amidst the feelings of insecurity, self-doubt, and all that stuff that can come up. It just, what do I need to do now? And that's one of the things the sage taught me that simplified my life, is that we have less control over changing emotions that pass through us like the weather. And we have less control over the discursive mind, thoughts that just appear in our awareness. We don't have a spam filter in our hands. Thoughts appear, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. But with all that happening, the major question we need to ask at any moment to live purposefully is what do I need to do now? Based on my values, my needs, my goals, what do I need to do now? And then doing it. Whether we're motivated or not, whether we're feeling the right emotions or having the right thoughts, what do I need to do? And then doing it. 
So it is a, a, an approach to functioning in life. A psychiatrist named Shoma Morita uh, once said, when running up a hill, it's okay to give up as many times as you want, as long as your feet keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> well, there's uh, so much there. First of all, on the... Uh the idea of excitement being related to fear, it's occurred to me. And, you know, I may have gotten this from you. Um, the idea that the breath is what uh, makes the difference. I may have heard that from you or, or read that someplace. But it occurs to me that the feelings of fear and excitement in the body are very, very similar, even identical in some cases. But fear is holding on to those feelings and excitement is letting go, stepping forward. And that letting go brings to mind the whole idea of a peaceful spirit, even if we're drawing upon a warrior nature, for there is injustice in the world, and there are times that we need to come up out of our meditation, open our eyes wide, and step forward into situations that might intimidate us or frighten us. And um, this is sort of the ninja spirit, uh, not the idea of being offensive and violent, but protecting the helpless and those who cannot defend themselves. Exactly. And that's one thing I loved about the martial arts, uh, is that in most games and sports, even though some martial arts have been turned into sports, you know, in the Olympics and so on, the, the root of the martial arts were not about losing a point or a match or a, a game. They were about possibly losing your life because many combats were, were, um, could be mortal combats. So there was a sincerity in the martial arts, a knowing that physical skill alone is not enough. If the mind's in turmoil or the emotions roiling, um, that we, it was a holistic approach to life. And the best martial arts and the best sports today um, teach life through the activity. It's not just about getting skilled in a particular activity, whether it's playing the cello or doing playing basketball. Um, it's about using that, uh, recognizing how we do anything is how we do everything. That practicing one way or one path is really practicing a way to live. And that's why I called it originally the way of the peaceful warrior. It is a single way, but it is uh, also very universal. I mean, these four archetypes that you use, the professor, the guru, the warrior, priest, and the sage, they seem to overlap to me. They're, they're not exclusive. And, and I've encountered similar archetypes before, and I have a hard time distinguishing the guru from the sage, for example, or the professor from the warrior priest. I mean, are these four sides of the same square? Or I mean, <laughs> How do you account for the fact that they touch each other? 
Sure. Well, you could you could view them as a Venn diagram where there is some overlap. But remember, I didn't just create four archetypes out of the cloth of philosophy. These were actual people with names that I studied with, and I had to come up with, with names for them. I could have called the professor the headmaster because it wasn't about him. He was in the background. It was about a school he created. Uh, called the Arika School. You've probably heard of it. Oh, Oscar Ichazo. Yeah, Oscar Ichazo. He was my first mentor. Uh, I trained with him. I go into, in the book, the details about not only his background, which is was pretty amazing, and, um, but also um, I, how I found his 40-day training through a, series, a synchronicity, um, and then the advanced training, and then training after that. I ended up teaching with Arika, um, doing every sort of, of meditation, 30 or 40 different kinds of meditations for different purposes, models of consciousness, levels of consciousness, uh, uh, the doors we use of tension release, um, breath work, body work, um, based on a deep understanding of physiology and anatomy. And, and so the professor was his own approach. It was a technological approach. He promised enlightenment after a process. We began the process. We went through the steps and, and uh, an array and a combination of exercises, 10 hours a day for 40 days. Uh, and then, as I said, advanced trainings after that. And I won't go in. See, I, I want to entice the reader. So they go, oh, I can really see why Dan was drawn to this. What an in-depth uh, training. But then I explain why I moved on. Uh, and there's no time now to do that. But let's just say I did move on. And then I met uh, the guru who I studied with for almost eight years. And it, a, he was known by many names. He was an American-born spiritual master. He, he said, I'd rather beat you with a stick than tell you to meditate your way to enlightenment. So he was a radically different kind of sort of crazy wisdom teacher known as Franklin Jones, Bubba Free John, Da Free John, and eventually Adi Da. And, and uh, he had wonderful, amazing strengths, but also some foibles. And one of the themes in the memoir is that every teacher is human, and every human has flaws, foibles, and failings. So we don't, don't need to throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater. We can appreciate them for their strengths. I'm grateful to all my mentors, but also recognize that they don't have to be the perfect master. We don't have to project upon them. Do you know, the guru himself said there are three basic approaches to spiritual life that correspond to three phases of human beings, childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. And he, and he said that um, in our childhood, of, of the spiritual questing, let's say, spiritual seeking, we seek what children seek, a parent figure, uh, all-powerful, we project on them all wisdom, and to tell us what to do and how to live. That's what children need, young children, of their parents. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that phase any more than there's something wrong with childhood. But children need to eventually grow up, and we grow through adolescence. And of course, in adolescence, we go, all these teachers are fakes and charlatans, question authority. Um, they don't know anything. Only I know what's best for me. And this is an appropriate phase of life. We have to throw off what we've been indoctrinated into or trained to be and find our own way. Sometimes it ends up similar to our parents, other times not. 
And so we pass through this adolescence phase where we reject all knowledge from outside ourselves, but eventually we mature into adulthood where we find wisdom wherever it may be in various forms, maybe even in an old service station. And we uh, then uh, are open. We're paying attention. You know that old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Uh, many people have heard that term, but they often, I believe, misunderstand it. That if we've suffered enough or are deserving enough or are prepared well enough, then finally a teacher like Socrates will appear to kick us up the path or lead us up the path. But I believe when the student is ready or actually paying attention, the teacher appears everywhere. So I learned this from the guru. Um, he was the source of that saying, paradox, humor, and change, which was written on Sock's business card as I presented it in the book. So after these two teachers, I felt I had had the creme de la creme. These were heavy hitters. They had the mojo. I wasn't looking for more teachers, but then I stumbled across the warrior priest. Very different relationship. We became, he befriended me. We became colleagues. I began my teaching career as a result of his influence. And he was an adventurer, very dramatic. It was exciting being around him. I learned uh, the whole life purpose system I teach. Uh, he, was, he was the source of that um, in the book, The Life You Were Born to Live. And it was quite an adventure. And finally, though, I met the sage who brought me down to earth. Um, he had a very different view and much simplified my life back to my kind of roots. After being in the sky of mind and metaphysical ideas from the warrior priest and others, because he was a metaphysician and master healer, as well as a former bodyguard and martial artist, uh, the sage uh, studied from a Japanese lineage, but he wasn't a Zen guy. Um, he had his own lineage, and I, I describe that in the book. But again, he brought me back to earth, rerooted to the ground and into the present moment. Present action, purposeful present action as a key to our lives. And those who... Those who function well and get things done, that may not sound too sexy or spiritual, but those who function well and finish what they start are likely to have a more fulfilling life than those who don't finish what they start. So there is something to say about how to function well in life. And, and so anyway, that gives you a flavor. These were radically different teachers. There wasn't a whole lot of overlap. You have me reflecting now on my teachers, and I agree with you. There are teachers everywhere. Situations are teachers. Problems and tragedies are teachers. But uh, in terms of the personalities in my life, I've had the good fortune through talk radio in Los Angeles for 40 years of being able to bring in women and men like you and pick their brains and look into their hearts <laughs> and ask whatever I wanted to ask. So I've sat at the feet of hundreds and hundreds of some of the most remarkable people. Uh, and 
I'm going to have to reflect on that a little bit more because uh, the way you present this is uh, is edifying. To to uh, maybe I should spend some time being more grateful for having these teachers come into my life and for me having uh, the presence of mind to listen. <laughs> well, you know, Epictetus said uh, we have two ears and one mouth to listen twice as much as we speak. And uh, in, my, in the book, under key terms at the very beginning of the book, Jim, Jimi Hendrix offers the wisdom. He said, knowledge speak, but wisdom listens. And so perhaps we were sitting, all your guests have been sitting at your feet, Michael, and offering what we could uh, uh, for you and for your listeners. And you've served just a wonderful purpose in sharing this, uh, these different perspectives. You know, we've all heard the saying, there's one light but many lamps. So you've helped us shine for, uh, for others. Well, I appreciate you saying that. A quick funny story. I had a, uh, a guru on my show one day. Uh, oh, I know who it was. It was Surya Das. Um, and he had just uh, written a book about awakening the Buddha within. And I shared the story with him of a particular revelation I had had in meditation once. And he said, hello, Buddha, which was such a flattering thing to say to me because I've always aspired to find my Buddha nature or my Christ consciousness. But what was funny about it to me, and the reason I'm telling you this, Dan, is I immediately felt my ego rush forward <laughs> to take credit for the compliment. <laughs> and uh, my ego dresses up like my spiritual self and pretends that it's very holy sometimes, but it's still the ego, and it, it, uh, it likes giving attention, and it likes credit, and I often say the ego's job is to ride shotgun, but it really wants to drive the car. <laughs> I like that. Nice image. We got to keep pushing them over into the passenger seat. <laughs> Somebody's got to have our back, right? You have a book about the four purposes, as you call them. And I wonder if you can touch on purpose, because a lot of people want to know purpose and meaning. Let's begin there. Is there a difference in your mind between purpose and meaning of life? I prefer speaking about purpose. I believe that if humans weren't on the earth, where is meaning? Do, do uh, chipmunks have meaning? Do crickets and, 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 and dogs and cats have meaning in their lives? Or do we humans, is that one of our skills that we create meaning? We make meanings uh, up. Some people make up positive meanings, some negative ones. So I prefer purpose. And yes, a lot of my work and books have been uh, around that. I have one book called Living on Purpose, another The Four Purposes of Life, one called The Life You Were Born to Live. So purpose has been central. And even in this book, The Four Purposes, which would be a whole session you know, with us again to even discuss that, I just would say I would focus right for the moment on the fourth purpose of life I have in that book, which is the one that appears to us each moment. We may not know what our cosmic future purpose is or humanity's purpose, 
But we always know our purpose in each moment. I know my purpose right in this moment, you know yours. So I, by living purposefully and just focusing on what is my purpose in this moment, and then following through, doing what needs to be done, while accepting whatever thoughts or feelings come, positive or negative, is natural to us in that moment. Meanwhile, what is my purpose? And then doing some action in line with that purpose. And, and to me, that, that is uh, one essential practical key for living wisely and well. Dan, it's a joy talking to you and reconnecting with you after all these years. I'm very excited to spend time uh, with your new book, which, uh, again, just came out, was it January 2nd or January 4th? I think it's just been yeah. out a few weeks. Right. Um, Peaceful Heart Warrior Spirit, available, as they say, wherever fine books are sold. And um, thank you. Do you have uh, any uh well, I, first of all, I want to ask you how people can get more information besides knowing about your books. You have a website. Let's talk about that. And uh, what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you? Oh, sure. Uh, I'd invite anyone curious to visit PeacefulWarrior.com. And uh, actually, on the splash page, the, the landing page is a life purpose calculator. It's free. People might enjoy putting their date of birth in and just seeing some information, a taste of what is in one of my books about their, their purpose. Um, so that's right on the, the first page they'll see. And so I invite any, anybody to visit that website to learn more. Okay, so is it wayofthepeacefulwarrior.com? No, just peacefulwarrior.com. Okay. And I think danmoman.com takes you to the same place. Is that true? It does take you to the same place. It points to peacefulwarrior.com. Yeah. Well, thank you again very much for being with us today on KPFK. And we'll be right back after a short break. Stay with us. This is the Mystery School. Well, thanks for sticking around. We just have a few more minutes of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School today on KPFK. So let me just use the remaining minutes to remind you that we are in the first fund drive of the new year and your support is required. It's respectfully requested, but why would you not want to be a member of the family? You're listening to this radio station right now. And chances are you listen a lot. Or even if you listen a little bit, why do you tune in? to KPFK. Why do you make it a point to listen with more than a hundred other radio stations on the dial, not to mention the internet and all the other demands on your time? I know why you do it, because what this radio station offers you with over a hundred different programs every week is news, information, talk, conversation, entertainment that you just can't get anywhere else. Nothing like progressive free speech radio for Southern California at 90.7 FM, Santa Barbara to San Diego, and then some, but also streaming for the world at kpfk.org. And if you're outside the U.S., you can make a contribution too. Simply go to kpfk.org. Look for Sustainer's Circle, and you can make a contribution of $10, $15, $20 a month that's virtually painless. You won't even miss it, and yet that adds up. At the end of the year, you're really helping out, 
and you have a nice tax deduction as well. And gosh, not to mention the peace of mind and the fulfillment that goes with knowing you're really making a difference by supporting this radio station. Support what supports you, kpfk.org. Take your time, poke around if you're interested in premiums. We'll ante up a premium for you. But uh, if you just make the pledge or the donation, that maximizes your contribution. And gosh, we really, really appreciate it. We're running on reduced funds right now. We've cut back our budget, as I mentioned earlier, by more than one-third. In the last few fund drives, we've barely reached 50% of the goal that we need to stay on the air. We've mortgaged the building. We've reduced staff. And all we can do is appeal to you. Keep KPFK not only on the air, but commercial-free. No corporate grants. No editorial involvement, a diverse community of women and men who feel very much like you do on the important issues of the day. Send your browser to kpfk.org, make your contribution right now, and thanks for listening. Stay tuned for Carrie Harrison. I want to thank my producer, Mark Brisky, and you for tuning in. Hear this program stream at the homepage, theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it, theagelesswisdom.com. And you'll find me at michaelbenner.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner on KPFK. KPFK.